Yes, yes. Omega Watts in the house. Now, now, now let me set the table. Now, now, now let me set the table. Invited to the banquet. I'm glad that you could make it. Invited to the banquet. I'm glad that you could make it. And these are questions I ask myself when I question myself. Table fam, how we feeling? Man, if I have not had a chance to meet you, my name is Isaac. I'm the young adult pastor here for Orlando and at the table. Man, and welcome. If it's your first time or first time in a long time, just welcome to uh, this thing we call the table. Uh, and why do we call it the table? Because we think that this is a banquet for the broken. So we can be honest with our imperfections. We can be honest with like being real and honest. And in that, we're not judged. In that, we get so much grace from Jesus. And we just get to sit together um, as a family, as well as not just the people that are here for the first time or the first time in a long time. Also, y'all, welcome back. It's summer kickoff. Yeah. So also, in a weird way, I'm kind of welcoming myself back as well. So if you've been tracking with us for a while, uh, you know that I have not been here for a while because my wife and I were having a baby. So here is, yeah, here it'll be on the screen here, uh, our daughter, Vera. There, yeah. Aww. Uh, but she's also in the back as well. Where is she? Oh, back there. Ayo. Yeah, uh, and she's wearing an adorable uh, table onesie that was gifted to us by our, uh, by our staff team. Anyway, so we're just like so, so happy, and I mean, if I seem a little tired, it's because I am, uh, but we're just here, and like we just love, my wife and I, we're just so excited, just like driving here tonight, we're just so excited to be here, just hanging out with you uh, tonight. We're starting in a series um, called uh, Jonah. We're going through the book of Jonah, but to set us up, you know, so I've been, um, as I mentioned, um, so I've been experiencing a little bit of dad life, and let me talk a little bit about dad life. Okay, I want you to imagine it's four o'clock in the morning, okay, four in the morning, and you kind of like got like a quick nap from like 2 a.m. to 4 a.m., and now you're waking up at 4 a.m., and you're there, and you're feeding, feeding your, your child uh, with the bottle, here we go, just like this, arm up, dudes, arm up, ladies, are, most of them know how to do this, okay, so you're feeding, but as I'm like feeding her, just like with her, like in the wee hours of the night, um, I just think about just her life, right, and I just think about like the things and like the, the woman that she's going to become and the things that she's going to do, and I just kind of imagine her like as a toddler, and I imagine her like in her, as she's growing up, like in her, in her childhood, as a teenager, blossoming into a beautiful um, young woman, um, and I just like start thinking about her life, and um, as, but as well, as, as I'm thinking about her life, I also kind of think about my life and what I was like growing up. And one of the things that I remember growing up that I'm sure Vera as well will participate in is this game called Tag. You guys ever play Tag? Tag. Tag. The, ga- the concept of the game is incredibly simple. If you are it, you go and you tag somebody, right? That's the game. So we're playing this game, right? And as kids, I remember I was in third grade and the cool teacher, his name was Mr. Bones, uh, the cool teacher there in third grade, he was it. And he was there um, looking at all of us third graders. And for me, I'm like, you know, I'm like nerdy, like we'll have parted hair, true story, parted hair um, and glasses and wearing like very uh, too too high of shorts um, and a polo t-shirt. And Mr. Bones would just stare. And if he stared at you, then you needed to run away, right? So he would stare, stare at a person, I'm going after you. And he would go and he would run after someone. And that little third grader would go and just would run, 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 run away. And eventually, though, you're not going to believe this, Mr. Bones always tagged him. 
So whenever they got tagged, then you would go to the timeout, jail, jungle gym area, and off he was for his next victim. Right? So I'm there, and eventually, after a few people went by, I'm thinking in my head, I'm like, okay, if Mr. Bones looks at me, he's not going to tag me. I'm way too fast. Right? Um, as well as I just wanted to kind of prove to everyone, as well as kind of prove my athleticism and prove um, all these things. So sure enough, eventually, Mr. Bones stares at me. And I'm like, <gasps> like fear <laughs> just enters my heart. I'm like, oh no, it's me, it's my time. And then I go and I run and I run and I run and you're not going to believe this, I get caught eventually. But the reason I mention this is because in this game of tag, and you know if you've ever played with children, there's a tendency in us to want to run. There's just, and the reason that the game tag works so well is because there's just something birthed within us as human beings that we just have a tendency to want to run away from things. And even as we think through our faith, right? So I want you to imagine for a second that Mr. Bones is God. And God stares at us, gets our attention, and we go, <gasps> and we run away, Right? And it's not some childhood game that we're playing anymore. Like, this is our life. And with our life, we feel um, that we are kind of looked upon by the Almighty, and we're like, nope, not this. And we just want to run in a completely separate direction. The reason I mention the story is because we're looking at, as we think through Jonah, one of the most famous runners of all time. One of the most famous runners of God ever in the history of humanity. Now, but when I say Jonah... What do you typically think of? Whale, yep. A wee whale or fish, whatever it may be, some aquatic animal as you see it on the screen here, right? And the reason we think that is because so often, especially for those of us that grew up in church, um, so often we just think of like, oh yeah, Jonah and the whale. And we think that's the story. We think, oh, Jonah, wasn't that the guy that like got swallowed? Huh. All right, and we literally never think about it again, right? And for maybe we even remember anybody who grew up in church from dating myself, the Veggie Tales movie? Did you guys watch this? Jonah was a prophet. Ooh, ooh, I remember that. Uh, but he really never got. Okay. So, so uh, that, was a, that was a church kid joke. If you did not grow up in church, um, uh, you got spared a lot of um, uh, embarrassment. There you go. Okay, so, so, with, so typically with Jonah, though, you know, we think of Sunday school, we think of flannel grass, right? we think of veggie tales, we think of it some childhood story. And what I want to do is I want to try to, if you can, um, we're going to look at Jonah for the next four weeks. And I hope, as if you knew anything about Jonah coming in, well, if you did not know anything about Jonah coming in, you're actually in luck. And if you knew stuff about Jonah coming in, um, my hope is that we can just take off anything that perhaps we've learned before in the past and really try to look at the story with fresh eyes. And not read it as some uh, myth, not read it as a Sunday school tale, not read it as a children's story. But we can consider Jonah, as we look at Jonah, we look at it as a mirror to our own lives. And as we're looking at Jonah, we're actually going to see a lot of parts of us. And we're going to see parts that are good, and we're going to see a lot, mostly, parts that are really bad, right? So Jonah isn't just a story of a guy that got swallowed by a fish or a whale, whatever you want to call it. It's a story of our lives and a story around us looking at the parts of ourselves that we don't really like to address, the parts of ourselves that we really want to try to ignore. But as we read through Jonah, we're forced to look at those parts of ourselves that, that we don't necessarily like because— Everybody runs. 
Everybody runs from God. There's a tendency in all of us to run from God. So all of us can relate um, to Jonah in one way or another. So if you have your Bibles, it'll be on the screens here as well. We're going to be in Jonah chapter 1. Jonah chapter 1. Where he says this. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, and I'll pause here. So Jonah was a prophet. So what was a prophet? So a prophet was somebody that took, that heard from the Lord, took this news from God and told this news from God on behalf of God, typically to people that did not want to hear this news. So the prophet would take this information and then go and present it to um, sometimes Sometimes there were people that um, were kind of new of God, and they were like, yeah, you're right, okay, yeah, God's saying that, okay, yeah, you're right, Jonah, or you're right, prophet. Um, but sometimes you would have to take this information from God, this word of the Lord, and take it to incredibly hostile environments that are not friendly, that are not friendly to God, right? So we look at verse 2, and this is what um, God tells Jonah. He says, arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up upon me. See, now Nineveh. Nineveh was the capital of this um, great empire at the time, the greatest empire at the time, called Assyria. See, and Assyria was very powerful and incredibly violent. I mean, incredibly violent. I mean, you've seen like the most, and you don't tell anybody you watch this because you're a Christian. And you're like, I don't tell people I watch that kind of stuff. Um, but you know, like the incredibly gory stuff that some of you may watch, like that pales in comparison uh, to what they were doing in Nineveh. Uh, so they were like really, really good at killing people. And they would experiment in lots of different ways uh, to kill people, some of which were being impaled, where they would just like put a body like on a sharp stick and just wait for the body to go down. Or they got really good at flaying people, which is like a version of skinning people alive. See, so the Ninevites were also really good at beheading. They were really good at amputation, at blinding, at castrating, at burning people alive. Um, and these Assyrians, they bragged about it. Here's a quote from the king of Assyria back in the 800s uh, BC, where he says, I let the leaders of the conquered cities be flayed and the clad of the city walls with their skins. See, Nineveh was known for the psychological warfare. So they would be so braggadocious about how they would just murder people because it was, don't even mess with us. Don't dare tell us what we need to do because, oh, you want to tell us what to do? We're going to conquer you and we're going to flay your skin so it's flailing like a flag. And God says, hey, Jonah, go there. That's where I want you to go. So as you can imagine, um, how would you respond um, when, if God tells you to go there, somewhere that's hostile to God, to go there and tell them how evil they are? How would you respond? So Jonah, as we see, uh, let, well, let's just read. Let's see, how, let's see what Jonah does, right? Uh, verse 3, here's how Jonah responded. He says, but Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So Jonah kind of runs away. But as you, oh yeah, Jonah run away. Well, let's give Jonah like a little bit of slack because of what God was calling him to do. See, some of us, uh, we've said no to God for a lot less. <laughs> like, hey, can you just go, uh, uh, go across the street and go talk to him? You're like, I don't want to talk to him, right? And like off to Tarshish, right? 
See, okay, but verse 3. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with him to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. So it's a little bit, if you read the text, it's a little bit of like, this is like a Hebrew joke, which as Americans um, or Westerners, we may not find very funny, but this is actually a joke in the Hebrew where he's saying, hey, I want you to arise and go. And Jonah arose and he fled, right? So it's kind of a play on words where he's like, he got up and did the exact opposite thing that God has called him to do. I have a map here uh, for those of us that are looking at the kind of the Mediterranean Sea area. So we have Joppa that's down here. Um, So that's where Jonah went down to Joppa. God called him to go to Nineveh, which is there on your right, and Jonah goes to Tarshish, which is basically Spain in our day, which is um, the furthest away that you can go at the time of how they knew about the world. So Jonah is like, I'm going to go as far away from this people group, God. I'm going to do almost the exact opposite thing, God, in the most extreme way of what you're calling me to do. And he did it on purpose. It's not like he got in the boat of like, oh, I thought we were going to Nineveh. Whoops, I guess we're going to Tarshish. No, no, no. He intentionally went down to Joppa, and he intentionally tries to go to Tarshish, right? And here's why I bring this up. It's because we are Jonah. We are Jonah. We have a tendency to do the exact opposite of what God has called us to do, right? It may not be, and we'll see how the story finishes in a little bit, but it may not be um, as, um, it may not be, hey, go to this, you may get beheaded, but go here, although it may be, but oftentimes in our lives, God gets our attention, right? We hear from God, and we do the literally exact opposite of what he's calling us to do. See, we have a tendency to run, and here's, here's the definition of running. Running is resisting the leadership of God. All of us have a tendency to run. All of us have a tendency uh, to resist the leadership of God, and here's why. Here's why we resist the leadership of God. See, some of us, we have FOMO, what do I mean by FOMO, right? FOMO, I had to like, because uh, I'm 32, I'm like a kind of middle-aged millennial, had to check with some of my cool Gen Z friends. Like, hey, do people still use FOMO? And they're like, yes. I'm like, okay, cool. So FOMO, fear of missing out. So what do I mean by this? Um, I mean that we, here is this life that God has for us, or so we think, and we think that life sounds absolutely miserable. We think that, man, to be a Christian, like I have to wear flannel, I have to button up my shirt. I have to wear khakis. I need to wear Oxford shoes. I need to wear a button up. I have to fix my hair. Um, I need to make sure I pray the right prayer. I have to like say all the right things. I have to like, man, there's like a whole bunch of movies I can't watch anymore. There's a whole bunch of uh, songs I can't listen to anymore. At least I need to like not tell people that I listen to those songs and watch those movies and the TV shows, right? And we think like this, this picture in our head of Christianity and it's like Ned Flanders, and we look at the life of Ned Flanders, we look at the life of like this, what we think a Christian should be, right? Or the model that, that perhaps has been presented to us. And we think that sounds absolutely miserable. And here I am, and I say that picture sounds absolutely miserable. So what do we do? So we think that God is here to take, we think, we think that God is here to rob us from the life that we actually want. Because what's the life that we want? We want life where we can have an amazing uh, relationships and power and control and comfort and money and security and influence. And we think that, man, I don't want to give that up. And if God's calling me to do something, 
That's, that's taking away from the power that I want, the influence that I want, the jobs that I want, the money that I want, the life that I want. That sounds terrible. So we, so we feel torn because to some extent we do kind of like God for what he can do for us, but we want God to give us the things that we really want. And what we want is to stay comfortable kind of there in the Middle Eastern area. And whenever God told us to go to Nineveh, we're like, absolutely not, God, because you're trying to rob me of what I think is best for my life. I'm going to Tarshish because I know better. It's typical. So we get, we get FOMO because we think that God is here to rob us um, of, the life, of the life that we want, right? And what actually is happening, though, is that God isn't here to rob us of life. God is actually here to take us on the greatest adventure that we could ever go on in our lives. We're going to read here in a little bit of what happens whenever Jonah, spoiler, Jonah actually does go to Nineveh later. And what happens in Nineveh is absolutely incredible, never before seen in the history of the world, what God does in Nineveh. And God's invited Jonah to participate with him to go rescue the people of Nineveh that were known for beheading, and we're going to see later, actually turn to God. It's an incredible story, and God's inviting Jonah to be a part of that. And Jonah says, I don't want to. I know what's best. I'm going to Tarshish. So whenever God looks at us, God calls us to do something, the question we're all asking is, do I trust God? Do I trust him? Do I trust him that God know, knows what's best for my life? Or whenever God tells me to do something that I disagree with, when God tells me to do something or calls me to do something that's uncomfortable, am I going to go to Tarshish? Right? So God gives us this invitation uh, to join him, to change history, to rescue his people, to participate in his movement. Right? And God is inviting us on this adventure, and all we need to do is say yes. If you want to go on the greatest adventure, the great, be part of the greatest movement in the history of the world, be part of what God is doing, all we have to do whenever we hear from God and God calls to do something with open hands, we say yes. And we don't know what's going to happen, and we're absolutely terrified. But as you know, every single one of you knows it's 100% true that whenever you've clearly heard from God and you've said yes, you've never regretted it. And what do we do every time, though? We doubt God again and again and again, why? Because all of us have a tendency to run. So some of us, we've been, or all of us, either you grew up here, like, look, we, God, who here, um, uh, this, this is not that uh, weird of a question. Who here is, like, not from Orlando? Okay. Look around the 60%, 80%? Not from Orlando. Yep, my hand's raised too. Okay, some of us are uh, born here, grew up here. Uh, my wife grew up here. Uh, so thank you for allowing us into your, uh, into your home, the Orlando home. So like an, anybody who came to Orlando, myself included, who brought us to Orlando? God did. God brought us to Orlando. Why did God bring us to Orlando? Because he sent us as missionaries to be part of what he's doing here in Orlando. Here's an invitation to participate with God in the city that we love, the city that we're in. And that's what we're trying to do every single week here at the table. Say, hey, look, we are a gathering of young adults that is so for God and so for the city of Orlando. And we're going to be part of what God is doing. So we get to gather every Tuesday to remind ourselves that we are sent here on mission for God. And if you grew up here, even easier. You didn't even have to learn uh, where uh, Taco China is. You just know where it is, right? So you can get to participate, and God's inviting us to this invitation to participate with him. But we think that we have FOMO because we're missing out on 
some relationships we want to be a part of. We think we're missing out on some job that we may have. We think that we're missing out on uh, uh, various things, right? Um, here's the second reason, though, why we typically run from God, is we think that life isn't fair. And what do I mean by that? Well, Philip Yancey says it this way. He says, um, we tend to think life should be fair because God is fair, but God is not life. And if I confuse God with the physical reality of life, then I set myself up for crashing disappointment. i read that again. We tend to think life should be fair because God is fair, but God is not life. And if I confuse God with the physical reality of life, then I set myself up for a crushing disappointment. And here's what this means, is that our life doesn't go well, we blame God. Because we thought that the deal that we made with God was that we would um, uh, kind of say a prayer, walk down an aisle, shake a hand, sign a card, get baptized, and then our life would be amazing. And nothing would ever go wrong again. And you're not going to believe this, life went wrong. So then, what do we do? Or perhaps we didn't even do that. Perhaps the reason we've been away from church for so long, perhaps this is our very first time here tonight. And if it's your very first time or first time in a long time back to church, man, I'm so glad you're here. And part of the reason may be because there's been um, what's called church hurt. And part of that is because there's been church people, there's been Christians that have harmed us. And as there's been Christians that have harmed us, I am so sorry that's happened to you. And as a result of that, it's every... Um, uh, uh, every reasonable thing in the world to want to blame God because of that, because Christians were supposed to represent God, and they didn't represent God. What did they do? They actually did not represent God. Why? Because the first one, they had FOMO, so they were doing things that God told them not to do, and whenever they started doing that, we got hurt. And whenever, whenever we get hurt, now we're, we're hurt towards God, and that's what the enemy has used for a long time to keep us away from what God wants for our life. So we start blaming God whenever um, life doesn't go well. But everybody runs, and whenever we want to run, there's always going to be a boat ready to take us to Tarshish. When we want to run, there's always going to be an opportunity to go do the exact opposite from what God has called us to do. So just because something is available doesn't mean it was ordained by God. All right, um, okay, if, I, um, um, if, if he asks me out, I'm going to say yes, um, because if God didn't want him to ask me out, he wouldn't have asked me out. Too real? Too real. Okay. Okay. Um, okay. Okay. I'm going to, okay. If, um, if I, okay. If I text her and she texts me back within the hour, that's it. That's the one, right? Okay. If I post this and they like it, that's it. Um, if I, um, okay. If I'm not supposed to um, uh, take this job, then it wouldn't be offered to me. Um, if, um, uh, okay, if I'm, not to, if I'm not supposed to buy this, then it would be out of stock. <laughs> Just because something is available doesn't mean it was provided by God. Everybody runs, and you know another way to call running is sin. Sin is where we miss the mark. Sin is where we have um, this um, design for our life and we start operating outside this perfect design for our life. Everybody runs, everybody sins. Whenever we run, some of us do it in incredibly obvious ways. Incredibly obvious ways, right? To where, you, you know, partying, you know, you know what it's like with, with alcohol, with sex, with drugs, whatever it may be, whatever your st kind of stereotypical picture of running away from God that's what we think of when we think of running away from God. But I would say for some of us in this room, um, it happens in incredibly less obvious ways. 
It's not just in the obvious ways that we're running, although that is also true. It also happens in incredibly less obvious ways to where um, someone walks in the room and our heart just fills with judgment for them. Where we just think that, man, I can't believe they got that. They don't deserve that. Man, they don't, I mean, if they only, I don't know, I can't believe they don't know what I know. I'm so much better than them. Um, I can't believe that they got the promotion. I can't believe that um, this friend group wants to hang out with them. Just, just contempt in our hearts, this bitterness in our hearts toward other people. And whenever we're just harboring bitterness, whenever we're harboring this lack of forgiveness, whenever we're holding these things on the inside, we can mask it incredibly well. Incredibly well. And we can smile and we can be like, be super fake. or like, hi, how are you? All good. Even though you were like literally just gossiping about them two minutes ago. Right? And whenever we do this, we're, what is this? We're, this it's sin. This is running away from God. This is not doing what God has asked us to do to, to, to love people. Right? Um, and how do I know this? It's because, hi, my name is Isaac. Y'all, I'm a runner. I'm a runner. I sin. Right? And some of I, I've shared my story before, but as I think through my story, some of us has been in incredibly obvious ways, incredibly obvious ways, like with, with alcohol and with sexual sin. Right? Say for the bulk of it, though, um, it's been, as I think through my story, it's in a very less obvious ways to where just craving approval from people and, and, uh, and running away from God in that way and not dealing with that. I would say it's a comparison, just comparing myself to other people. It's this incredibly competitive nature that I have where I just want to compete all the time with people. And when I just let that fester and I don't deal with that, what happens? My heart is running away from God constantly, constantly running, 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 running. And then we get to this point where we think, man, I'm not hearing from God anymore. I just feel like just something happened. I just feel like I'm just kind of going through the motions. I'm not really feeling anymore, man. I'm going to life group every week. I'm reading my Bible. Um, I'm doing all this church stuff, but there's undealt with running in our hearts. Whenever there's undealt with running um, in our hearts, um, it's going, we're running away from God, and it just creates this chasm um, between us um, and God. And that's what I've experienced in my own life, and I'm wondering that's what some of us experience. Whenever I think through that, whenever I find myself in a way where, man, I feel like I've just been running from God. Um, the next feelings that follow are typically accompanied with shame and guilt. When we find ourselves in a spot where we didn't think it would be, when we find ourselves on a boat to Tarshish, we may start feeling a lot of shame and guilt associated with that, and we um, perhaps don't even know how to get back. We're like, man, I'm on this boat headed to Tarshish. I have no idea what to do next. I have no idea how to get back. And here I am just carried on this boat, and I'm not a good swimmer, and the boat's rowing, and I don't know what to do next. So what? So here's the big idea. Here's the big idea. Here's the actual, the really good news. Is that you can run from God, but you can't outrun God. You can run from God, but you can't outrun God, right? Because in God's kindness, he rescues us. As we run, God's, going, God's on a rescue mission to rescue runners, so here's how he does it. So we look at verse 4. We're going to read through these verses here. So how does God respond? But God hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. So here's what God does. God sends a storm to get Jonah's attention, right? So if you've been hanging out with us for a while, you know, sometimes we talk to this about speed bumps. Like there are these speed bumps that God uses to try to get our attention. Like, oh, what was that? God's trying to get your attention. Like, oh, what was something else happened? God's trying to get your attention. To where eventually God's like, I'm getting your attention, and there's a brick wall that we slam into. 
And is there a brick wall because God's trying to punish us? Is there a storm because God's trying to punish us? No, we're not being punished. God is trying to get our attention. And some of us are so um, nasal gazed down. We've been running for so long that there needs to be something big. There needs to be something miraculous in order to get our attention so God can rescue us in his loving kindness, right? So and whenever that happens, um, uh, God's, not, God's not harming us, but it may feel that way, right? Because like a surgeon, right? A surgeon makes a cut not to harm you. A her- surgeon makes a cut to heal you to bring you to redemption, to bring you to healing. And sometimes the storms, they feel like that. Like, man, I can't believe God would do that. How dare they, right? Well, how dare he? Um, in God's loving kindness, he sends a storm to get Jonah's attention. See, not all the storms are our fault. We talked, um, I think the last message I gave a couple months ago was about a storm that was not caused by God. Not all storms are our fault, but some are because God's trying to get our attention. So verse 5, where he says, Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had got down to the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. You know when the flight attendants on an airplane are scared? It's bad. <laughs> you know whenever they like, please fasten your seatbelts, and they're like, ha-ha, <laughs> That's the, the mariners here, the sailors here, they were scared. The storm was bad, right? And verse 6, So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise and call out to your God. See, the storm is happening. Jonah, he's passed out. He's sleeping. They're like, Jonah, wake up. See, hey, Jonah, can you do what we're all doing? Because all of us, we're all just trying to make the storm go away, and we're all crying out in any way that we know how to the gods that we know of. So Jonah, can you also cry out to your God as well? So perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we will not perish. See, in moments of of tragedy, um, people are going to look for any um, possible answer. And that's a really good opportunity to be consistent and to be faithful with this Christian witness um, that we have. So they, verse 7, they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they basically start, um, it's like a, like a divine lottery <laughs> uh, around like, Hey, whose fault is this? Sevens, Jonah, it's you. <clears throat> so they cast lots and it fell on Jonah. Verse 8. Then they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. And they start going into interrogation mode with Jonah. So they wake him up. He was sleeping. They wake him up, start interrogating him, where they say, what is your occupation? And where did you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? Right, Jonah, like, hey, can you tell us about yourself? Are you, why, like, the die rolled on you, bro. Can you tell us what's going on here? And he said to them, verse 9, which is very interesting. Jonah says this, where he said to them, "Um, I am a Hebrew And I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. See, this is actually kind of hilarious because here Jonah is, gets a word of the Lord to go to Nineveh. And he goes, nope, goes to Joppa, gets on a boat, goes to Tarshish, the exact opposite way. And here he says, oh yeah, I'm a Hebrew. I'm a people of God. And this, I fear the Lord so much because I know the Lord. I fear God so much because I know he's the God of heaven. He's also the God of the sea. He's the God of the, the dry land. He's God of the sea. And I, ra- I ran away from him, and he's the God of the sea. And here I am on a boat on the sea. And here's the God of the sea. Right? Do you get you see the humor in this? I'm like, Jonah, see, and here's what happens, though. It's because whenever, um, um, whenever we start 
get caught kind of, and those of us that kind of know the Bible and know theology, we're really good at theology, even whenever we're doing exactly what we're not supposed to be doing. We can just start like quoting things, right? And that's why it's so easy around church people um, to pretend like we're not running because we're so good at quoting Bible verses. And actually, this is kind of what he's doing. He's just kind of like, hey, don't, don't question me too much because I know all the Bible answers. I know how to pray. I know, I know how to present myself that I'm a, I'm a good Christian. This is basically what Jonah is doing. Hey, I'm a God-fearing man. See, but the sailors, they know better because they see the contradiction. The non-Christians see that the Christian is acting in a way that is not God-honoring. You can run from God, but you can't outrun God. Verse 10, Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? Right? They're like, Jonah, you're supposed to be the God-fearing man. Like, what have you done? You put all of us in danger because you're, living, you're saying one thing and you're acting in a different way. Right? You're saying one thing and acting in a different way. You put all of us in danger. For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Right? So the sailors, again, they see the contradiction. Verse 11. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. Tempestuous. I got that one. Tempestuous. Uh, Then he said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Right? So that Jonah, what should we do with you? He's like, hey, throw me overboard. <laughs> Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you because I know it is because of me that this great tempest that is tempestuous, this great tempest has come upon you. So they're like, Jonah, what do you want us to do? And he says, throw me overboard. Okay, now there's actually a debate on what Jonah's intentions were when he tells the sailors to throw them overboard. And perhaps this is why I want us to re-examine what, we, what perhaps we have learned in Sunday school. Because some, and really there is a debate, some scholars believe that as they look at the story and as Jonah is saying, hey, throw me overboard, what's going on is he is fully surrendering to God and he's submitting to God and he's repentant and he's saying, God, I'm so sorry, sailors. I'm so sorry that I've done this to you. Just throw me overboard and I trust God to do with me as he's going to do with me. That's one interpretation of what's going on here. Here's another version. I kind of lean, I don't ultimately know, but I kind of lean towards the other one. Jonah here is so selfish that he would rather die than go to Nineveh. He's basically committing suicide here by by saying, hey, just throw me overboard because what does Jonah not say here? Hey, um, God, I will go to Nineveh. No, he doesn't say that. What does he say to quiet the storm? Not to obey God. He says, um, I actually don't want to go to Nineveh so much that I'm willing to be thrown overboard. Because Jonah, as we're going to see time and time again, is so um, incredibly um, hard-hearted to what God wants him to do. Now, is it possible that that's not the correct interpretation and it's the former to where he is truly submitting to God out there in the moment and being repentant? Yes, it's possible. Um, I'll leave that. I gave my opinion. Um, you, can, you can deal with that um, as you wish uh, to do with that. But let's look at verse 13 here where it says, um, Nevertheless, um, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous, there's a word again, against them. Verse 14, therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life. Lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. Okay, do you remember in verse 5 where they start calling out to their gods? And now here they are, um, and they're calling out to the God of Jonah, right? 
This is incredible, right? Where they can see, hey, I think, Jonah, I think your God is right. And man, we don't want innocent blood on our hands as we throw you overboard, right? So the men, verse six, so they picked up Jonah and they hurled him into the sea and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. All right, so here's what's going on. So Jonah, eventually here's what happens with Jonah. And here's what I want us, us to consider for those of us that have been, and this is what the sailors did because the sailors started rowing against God. And this is what Jonah did regardless of what his actual intentions were and being thrown overboard. And here's what I want all of us uh, to consider. Regardless if we feel like we're running from God or we feel like we don't run, we have not run from God. If we've been in the season before where we've previously run from God and we think we're good now, but we're curious on what happens later. If you ever find yourself, perhaps now, perhaps later, in a season where you feel like you're running from God, here's what I want us to do as modeled here in the story. Stop running and face God. Stop running and face God, right? For, for many of us, we feel like um, uh, whenever we stop running that we're terrified to face God because we think that we owe God. We think, man, if I, man, I, I sinned a lot. I ran away at God. So let me try to like earn my way back. So I'm going to start coming back to church. I'm going to try to be a good person. I'm going to try to do the right thing. Um, and, and we don't, the reality is we don't need to pay God back. God wants to welcome us back. We don't need, we don't owe God anything. God just wants to welcome us um, back in. So there's no, there's no shame and guilt if we've been running. And this is what I want us to feel today. I want us to feel the loving kindness of God and his love. Because here's, um, here's what happens. Verse 17, in God's loving kindness and redemption, here's what happens. Verse 17, and the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of a fish for three days and three nights. So here's what happens. So Jonah goes, gets thrown overboard, and now here he is at his lowest moment where he's thrown overboard. Who knows what's about to happen? And then here's the coolest part, is that God does what only God can do. God does what only God can do where God appoints a fish um, to, to, to swallow Jonah. And there he is in, his, in the fish's belly for three days and three nights. The fish is not a punishment from God. It's a rescue. And as we're being rescued by God, sometimes it's going to look incredibly um, unorthodox, right? And, and because in right now, I mean, perhaps we feel that now where we feel like we're in a storm. We feel like we're thrown overboard. We feel like we're in the belly of a fish. We have no idea what's going on. Um, we're going to look next week at like, what is, how does Jonah respond when he's in the belly? He gives us um, a very interesting prayer that we're going to look at. Um, but God does what only God can do, Right? And we don't, whenever we're thrown overboard, whenever we're in a storm, we don't need to pay God back. God just wants to welcome us back. And this is, and even um, Jesus references this, where he says this in Matthew, um, Matthew chapter 12, where he says this, For just as Jonah was in the three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So what's going on here is that Jesus meets people exactly where they are in the lowest moments. Jesus meets you exactly where you are in your lowest moments. For those of us that feel like we've been running and running and running and running, we have no idea how to get back. We have no idea what to do. Here's what I want us to do. I want us just to stop running. We can just stop. Stop running. And as we stop running, 
We just face God. And whenever we face God, we're not met with judgment. We're not met with condemnation. We're met with love. We're met with grace. We're met with um, just the redeeming power. Um, Because the reason we don't have to pay anything back is because Jesus already paid everything for us. See, Jesus is the greater Jonah. Whereas Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights, Jesus was in the grave three days and three nights. Why? He was paying God back on our behalf. So now what we do is because of Jesus, we just claim Jesus, and God welcomes us with open arms. We don't have to do anything. So our opportunity here is to stop running Regardless of where we are, regardless, if we think that we've a million miles away from God, we have no idea what to do, we have no idea how to get back, we can just stop running and just receive just the free love um, of Jesus. And we get a second chance, like Jonah does. We get a second chance as life whenever um, we, we believe in Jesus and just claim Jesus. We get a second chance, no matter how much we think that we've messed up our lives, ruined our lives, um, whenever we feel like we're running, uh, we just claim Jesus, and there we go. There's our new life um, that we have. So here's a reflection question as we're wrapping up here. What would stopping and facing Jesus look like for you? What would stopping and facing Jesus look like for you? What would stopping and facing Jesus look like for you. So whatever you're going on and whether you've been running incredibly um, um, outward ways or perhaps it's been more internal in your heart, what would just stopping, surrendering, and just facing Jesus in the parts of our heart that we just notice we feel like are running away from him. Perhaps it's our whole heart, perhaps it's corners of our heart, whatever it may be, what would stopping and facing Jesus um, look like for us? Um, and here, here's my, my hope for you, is that perhaps you have been in a family um, that has been running away from God for a long time. And you have been the recipient of that. To where your, your parents, your grandparents, whatever it may be, they've been running, they've been running and running and running. And here you are, and you're trying to figure things out and you don't want to run, but you just know the natural tendency for you also is to run because that's what's been modeled for you. And here's the opportunity is that we get to be a people that we don't need to run away from God when God looks at us. Instead, um, we can stop And with all the grace and love in the world, just face God and receive his kindness and receive his grace and receive his mercy. And as we do that, our lives will be changed. Your life will be changed. Where you live will be changed. Your friend group will be changed. Your job will be changed. When I'm holding Vera, you know what I think? I'm thankful for my grandfather in Puerto Rico back in the 1940s who was running away from God. A drunk womanizer, kind of grew up in church, kind of grew up religious, but really wanted nothing to do with that until he realized um, that he wanted to stop running from God and just face God and was met with all the love and the grace in the world. And then model that for my parents, who also had their own versions of running away from God, but also um, had moments where they got to model what um, facing God and receiving love and grace and kindness look like. And then as I think at my life, I look at my versions of running away from God And then um, I met with just the love and kindness and grace. And then I look at Vera, her daughter. And then I think about, man, I'm so fortunate that I have, because of my grandfather um, on both sides, I have generations of modeling what not running away from God looks like. But here, I thought this too. But even if I didn't, even if I didn't have that, because I know many of us in this room don't have that. Even if I didn't have that, I can change the script. 
I'm so grateful for the family story that I have, but even if I didn't, here I am with my wife and my daughter, where regardless of what's happened before me, I get to be a change agent to flip the script, um, to, to not run away from God, but instead to receive and just allow God and his kindness and his word and belief and just doing what God has called us to do. And as a family, go on the greatest adventure that we've ever been in in our lives. I get to be, there's an opportunity for me to start doing that. And that's what, regardless of what your story is, if you end up getting married, if you don't, it's Either way is good. Um, If you have children, if you don't, either way is good. Regardless, whatever has been happening to you, you have an opportunity to be a change agent just to receive the love and the grace and to do something differently than perhaps what's been modeled for you. So we're actually going to sing um, to respond. And you can reflect on this question as well. Um, But we're going to sing a song about how God, um, from our perception, seems reckless, but from his perspective is not reckless at all. How God just chases after us and runs after us whenever um, we we start running away from him. So if you want to stand, and I'm going to pray over us as we get ready to sing. Father, we thank you. Father, we love you so much for, for who you are. God, I'm just praying for the people here at the table. God, with all the love and the grace that you have for us and those of us that feel like we've been running and running and running and running and are exhausted and we don't know what to do. God, my prayer is that wherever we are, we can stop. We can face you because we can run from you, but we can't outrun you because there you are there to rescue us, to pick us up. We love you. Just name.